0: Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany, and I'm Chris. And this week we're continuing with our magicians watch through, and we're on episode, and we're on season three, episode four. Be the penny. Can you give us a recap, Chris?
1: We open on the astrally projecting penny, watching as his body dies. Unable to interact with the physical world, Penny then watches his friend's reactions to his supposed death, and he becomes more and more frustrated to see none of them deeply mourn him. We follow Penny as he travels between our protagonists, from Margot on the Muntjac to Elliot Fenn, and Frey in the Netherlands. The only being who can see him ends up being Hyman Cooper, a similarly disembodied, but much pervier traveler, who died in the early 20th century. Hyman teaches Penny to inhabit physical objects, but his attempts to alert the others that he is alive still fail. He witnesses Julia's magical powers grow stronger as she heals Katie after a grief-stricken overdose. After a visit from the librarians, who mistakenly believe Penny is becoming a vengeful ghost, Katie is forced with the choice of letting the librarians' corpse-eater consume Penny's body to send a spirit to the underworld, or burning the body, possibly making Penny a vengeful ghost, when she's unable to decide... Penny inhabits a candle and incinerates his own body. Meanwhile, Quentin and Julia's search for the second key leads them to Irene McAllister's home, which is secretly run on invisible fairy labor, and Julia successfully steals the key. Despite the group's attempts, Breakbills' board of directors closes the school. When Elliot and his family return to Breakbills from the Netherlands, having survived an attack by cannibals, Elliot takes the second key, which reveals hidden truths, and sees Penny's astral self, which is still on Earth. (laughs)
0: is <laughs> such a great way to end the episode.
1: Yeah, it really is. He's like,
0: wait, <laughs> and just cuts. Absolutely. And he's just like, hey, Penny, because he doesn't know. Elliot never got the information that he died.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And the audience doesn't know what happens to Penny after his body burns. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a really well done way of kind of tying up a lot of those mysteries or loose threads but in a comical and cliffhanging kind of way. Mm
0: -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this entire episode, so much comedy involved.
1: It's amazing. So
0: fun. So funny. Uh, No, I mean, obviously, every episode is funny in certain ways, but this one is just saturated. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's really great. So why don't we get into some of those magic moments?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that we obviously get so many great lines in this one that I think mm-hmm. we'll probably be revisiting it as we go, but definitely the best line of Penny's commentary on everyone else is just him saying, appreciate me.
0: Yeah. I've saved you all so many times. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they should appreciate him.
1: It's so good.
0: Do you relate to that? I do. <laughs> when very he much yelled that so. I just yeah started laughing. <laughs> This is Chris. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but it's great because we also see him see some of the things that he hasn't been a part of in the storyline. So, mm-hmm. And he even comments on that. Like, cool boat. Like, yeah. cool shit. Where'd you get this? <laughs> the first time he sees a bunny messenger, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, like... What are you
0: doing? Exactly.
1: All these are, are, I think, very, very funny.
0: And he somehow follows the bunny through the... <laughs> little magical portal it creates. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love how when Elliot comes into the cottage and wants water, he asks for it to be sparkling. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> not, not just water. <laughs> it it's very sparkling. I
1: don't just need to hydrate. I also need to be bougie about it. Yeah.
0: Just survived cannibals flat water will not do. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: certainly not. <laughs> And then, of course, the other reason we have so many great lines in this episode, (laughs) Hyman.
0: Such a problematic character, but so funny.
1: Extremely funny. And the writers clearly know exactly how to use him and have so much fun with him. He calls Josh... A magician? Yeah, oh God,
0: no. Which is like the
1: grossest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, oh no! And just his
0: holy zerts,
1: ho- holy zerts. As someone born in 1902, I find a heterosexual white male hero very relatable, yeah. and just Penny's reaction to him yeah. constantly is is excellent.
0: Uh, the duck's nuts.
1: <laughs> the duck's nuts was another very good just one. Like,
0: that can't be an actual phrase.
1: Yeah, I did actually look up some of these phrases. Uh, the duck's nuts is a 1930s slang that started in Australia. <laughs> kind of like the bee's knees when like those kinds of things were very popular. Mm. Holy zerts. Couldn't find anything online. <laughs> that makes any sense of holy zerts. He does call Alice a bit of a Mrs. Grundy, oh, yeah. which I had to look up and <laughs> yeah, then Yeah, we found... did
0: pause. Yeah, it to look that
1: up. <laughs> because uh, Mrs. Grundy was a character in a play two hundred years ago mm-hmm. who was like overly conservative, conservative and like proudly prudish kind of character who would like judge you for. Not being prudish during like these Victorian era values, and so became known as this kind of, yeah, judgmental neighborhood presence of, <laughs> oh, well, you can't do these bad things because Mrs. Gertie might see kind of tongue in cheek jocularity, which is just like, but, what is this show?
0: But what was the name of the play?
1: <laughs> oh, it comes from the 1798 five act comedy Speed the Plow. <laughs>
0: oh, no!
1: I'm sorry, Mrs. Grundy, not Mrs. Gertie.
0: Yeah, you said it both ways. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: Mrs. Grundy. Uh, Eventually... Speed
0: the Plow. Speed the Plow. I wonder why that one doesn't come to Los Angeles anytime (laughs) recently. I can't remember the
1: last time we saw Speed the Plow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, no.
0: But I I love how his character blends, right? mm -hmm. So he's referencing this thing from the 1700s, but then he's also like... I ship them, you know, and so it's like he has this melding of way a long time ago, ridiculous, nobody knows what he's talking about references, but he also, through all of this time, has been observing all of these people, so he's picked up a lot of their vernacular Absolutely. stuff too. So yeah. he's, he's delightful, <laughs> well being, entirely problematic.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways also a stand-in for some of the more problematic fans of the show <laughs> <laughs> and that the ways the they theme. talk about characters and stuff. But yeah, it's it's just very, very good. He also, I think, another way that, that he breaks the fourth wall is when they're talking about whether they can or cannot interact with objects. Hyman's saying, like, your ass just knows that a chair's there and it just knows how to sit down in it, which feels very much like the producers having to explain why sometimes these characters are sitting down in the furniture, (laughs) how that makes sense. It just does. (laughs) Their asses just know. Um, Very, very good. I'm sure you've got some more magic moments to add to the pile.
0: Yeah, he's just such... What would a bro be like back then? Oh, this is what it would be like. Let's make him a character.
1: Yeah, it's it's someone who has all of the privilege in the world and has never had to worry about us- using it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, uh, other couple magic moments. When Elliot runs through the door with Fenn and Frey, Quentin gets up and starts asking him, like, how are you here, you know? Mm-hmm. But he, like, cuts himself off by giving Elliot a hug, yeah. which is just so cute. So cute. <laughs> it's a very cute moment. Yeah. And then For Ellie... two
1: characters who have not spent a lot of time together in over a season, yeah. like, seeing them come yeah. together this way actually is really affecting.
0: Well, yeah. And if it's been two months on Earth, how long has it been in Fillory? Mm-hmm. Two years? I would assume yeah, not, not as exactly, much. Like, yeah, but it before they were like, it changes. oh, it's been two or three months of Quentin, like, drinking and all of that after Alice turned into Niffin. But then he's like, oh, yeah, it was just two days on Earth. So, like, I, I don't think it's exactly a one-to-one, but it's... I a... think it
1: changes over time. I think yeah. sometimes it ends up being like, oh, a day passes on Earth, a month passes in Fillory. But sometimes it's almost one-to-one. Sometimes, yeah. like, it... Yeah, I think it changes as the needs of the world and the narrative require.
0: Fillory's on a Jeremy Bearamy?
1: Fillory's absolutely <laughs> on a Jeremy Bearamy, yes. Sometimes
0: it's in the eye. Yeah, yeah. Which... That broke me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that, that's, that, to me, also is very... If you
0: don't know what we're talking about, it's The Good Place and you should go watch it. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's very Narnia, too, because like sometimes between a book, it'll be two years but other times it'll be decades have passed mm-hmm. uh so mm-hmm. yeah it feels just like magical magic
0: timey-wimey
1: timey-wimey wiggly wombly nonsense
0: mm-hmm. another excellent line also from that same scene is elliot <laughs> gather around story time with uncle elliot <laughs> and his story is titled Elliot did nothing wrong but was chased by cannibals through the befucked Netherlands. So that's the title of his story.
1: Absolutely, yes. Uh, uh, I wonder what the moral of the tale will be.
0: <laughs> Just so great, so great. Yes. And then another one, and less funny, that I really appreciate is in this episode. Alice is the only person who has brought up at all since the beginning of the season the question of should we bring magic back, mm. which I think is a really important moment. Not only does it show the continued effects of her having been a niffin and then being brought back to human form and all that she's struggling with, and what she did when she was almost purely magic, right? The horrific parts of that, torturing countless creatures Mm -hmm. just because. Uh, And now we know when Elliot had talked to the Great Cock, he had used a lot of different nicknames for them. The One-Eyed Conqueror, The Traveler, The God-Touched, and one was the Torture Artist, Mm -hmm. which is Alice. And so it makes sense for her to be saying, honestly, I don't think that we should bring it back. You know, why, why should we, why would we, but also it's not only about her and what she experiences in FN, but she's also like, well, if you bring it back, then what happens to your dad's brain cancer, you know? And so it's really important for someone to be answering these questions instead of just being like magic, good
1: quest. Great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But why don't we move into our next section, which is setting and society. What were you thinking about?
1: Yeah, on that note, this idea that cancer is tied to magic and that (laughs) magic going away healed Quentin's dad's brain cancer. You know, obviously that was... It broke you. It broke me, yeah. Because obviously we heard kind of that as like a myth or legend within the magical world back in the first season. But it kind of being confirmed here then just opens up so many more questions. Mm-hmm. Like, does that mean that no one has cancer on Earth anymore? Like, mm-hmm. no one's getting cancer?
0: <laughs> or just certain types? <laughs> exactly. Or, yeah. Like,
1: you know, how is this impacting the rest of the world? And that, again, gives more credence to Alice's questioning of, maybe we should look more deeply at what the impacts of a magical world, of a non-magical world are. Because mm-hmm. if that's the case, yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, it also, of course, raised questions of, but then Penny died of cancer.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had to, uh, we paused here, too, because Chris was like, wait, what? <laughs> and we're like, is it that his super cancer had pr- progressed to the degree that, like, magic going away makes it so that the cancer cells are no longer multiplying, but because he was at such a advanced stage, he died anyway, versus, like... Quinson's father, maybe he still has a brain tumor, but
1: it's not going to grow any growing, further yeah. So,
0: yeah, we don't know.
1: Questions, questions, questions <laughs> is really what happened. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my notes are literally just cancer intermission. It was inherently magical. And then another line question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> I was like, how?
0: <laughs> Holy zerts.
1: Holy zerts. I also want to talk a little bit more about these new scavengers that we see in the Netherlands. Mm. These cannibals, who say that they got there with a magic bean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you know is hilarious because you think of James and the beanstalk, mm-hmm. you know. But then it's also like, okay, are you from a rural world that has people interacting with beans more often? Like, I mean,
0: people <laughs> interact with beans all the time in our world. Yeah, Chris. but
1: who would be like? here's a magic bean. (laughs) Like, it just, it doesn't have Hmm. the same kinds of cultural connotations as when that legend first came up and a trader might have come around and saying, like, oh, I've got a bean here, you know? Maybe
0: it was somebody from a different world where there's just magic beans. I guess, yeah. Teleportation beans. (laughs) Bean me up. (laughs) Oh, no.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I was right there and I regret <laughs> it. <laughs> but also the fact that the book that Penny was trying to get on astro projections, they're going to use as toilet paper.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing is... I think that they also do a really effective job of very quick world building in how things have changed in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. because, you know, and it's kind of, again, played for laughs because it's Penny reacting to this and being frustrated by it, but they ate a librarian and yeah, they're using the pages of the library's books to, yeah, wipe their asses. (laughs) And so... It shows the way that the library was seen as, you know, all-powerful at one point. Mm -hmm. That the loss of magic has massively changed that as well. Yeah. And that this knowledge that was guarded with so much magic that Penny's body died from it. That he signed a million or billion-year contract. There is immense amounts of magic that the library had. They were very much a authoritative institution. And now they aren't. Mm -hmm. And this is all... Yeah, kind of background or jokes and things in Penny's attempts to find more information. But it's also, yeah, this really quick world building of, you know, even though there are still some magical things occurring, like magic beans, the world itself and the institutions that are at play are facing very different circumstances.
0: Mm hmm. Mm
1: hmm. And also, you can't ever give cannibals what they want. <laughs> Because what they want is to eat you. Yeah. (laughs) That last part being implicit, I think, is very funny.
0: Yeah, because people will, like, change the you can't negotiate with terrorists, right? Right, yeah. He's like, you can't negotiate with cannibals. You can't give them what they want. And it's like, it's the best use I've seen of changing that.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, Very good. (laughs) But the other thing that I thought was really interesting was as we're seeing more of Julia's magic when she heals Katie mm-hmm. and when she does the locator spell for the key, in both cases, the magic she does is so different from the magic spells that we've seen so far in this show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where magic before, whether the spells that were taught at Break Bills or the Hedge spells, they almost always had the same kind of hand trick and spoken word aspects to them. You know, obviously, we've learned there are other ways of doing it without hands and, you know, other kinds of things. The spells were very much kind of like you memorize things, you reenact them, you have power. Mm -hmm. Julia doesn't seem to have to have that memorization. She's just able to use power and to manipulate that power in ways that she sees fit. Mm -hmm. You know, in a Dungeons and Dragons style difference, (laughs) this is like the difference between a wizard who learns magic out of spell books and use their intelligence to cast spells and things like that. And a sorcerer who has it ingrained in them. And they have a much smaller number of spells that they know, but they can use those spells more effectively because it's natural to them. Hmm. Yeah, I just, it's really interesting to see Julia's magic be distinct in these ways that haven't been explicitly commented upon but through the way that she performs them is kind of yeah made clear that there's there's a difference going on here that furthers that mystery
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: but what about you what did you have for setting in society
0: yeah so I was thinking about the Hyman Cooper edition and like how it's All very, very meta commentary on the show. And not just the show, but any types of stories and entertainment. He's like, I went with them to solve the mystery of the Golden Key. (laughs) You know, like he's like so excited. And we're like, yeah, we're going into the Tale of the Seven Keys. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very reflected back from the audience of how they might be feeling about things. Also... They're my favorite pairing. Friends for years, but he's always loved her. And then when Julia was making a comment about Quentin, just like going down the rabbit hole of research and being like, "Oh no, it actually reminds me of myself." And he he puts his hand to his heart as he's watching. He's moved by it, and Chris totally does that sometimes do that all when we watching things. So. <laughs> It's just really funny because, yeah, he gets moved by things in a similar way, and he has preferences on which pairing he likes mm-hmm. and you know y- you and katie are great i totally ship that ellis mm-hmm. is okay you know like, he has opinions on how well he likes these quote-unquote characters but in their world they're not characters but to him they are because he can't interact with them similarly how we can't when we're exactly. watching things yeah. or reading yeah. things
1: it also highlights this like very very intense Affection that fans get for characters. Oh,
0: absolutely! Uh, yeah.
1: And the ways that yeah, they create head mm-hmm. and pairings and ships and like all these Draw things. Fan heart exactly. And... Yeah. Where yeah. they they participate in their fandom in a way that makes them feel closer to those characters, but they can never touch those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really funny amusing fun way but then they take it a step further in the direction that i think one of the things that i appreciate about this show it it doesn't only do the funny it doesn't only do the dramatic but it also makes some commentary on storytelling itself and some of the problematic aspects of it so his quote which you mentioned before saying that I find a heterosexual white male hero very relatable <laughs> such a great quote you know he well, starts and again with, as, as someone, someone born, born, born in 1902.
1: oh 1902 yeah oh so good
0: but that's still the case for so many people mm-hmm. like that is what they want right you know they might couch that in well we just want it to be about good stories and like identity politics shouldn't have a place here or whatnot ignoring the fact that representation does matter and that the vast majority of people can't relate to the heterosexual white male Mm -hmm. hero but that being the hero that has been put forth in front of us for so long. Obviously in the West, but also Western stories disseminated throughout the world, yeah. right? And so, yeah, I think it's just a really important line. Mm-hmm. Even if it's hilarious, it's also really important.
1: Yeah, it's calling out those who continue to feel that way at being like you sound like someone born in
0: 1902. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But it's also, in some ways, not exactly calling out, but sort of, their own story, Mm -hmm. right? You know, the entire series starts with these two magicians talking about this one character, who is Quentin. And we cut to Quentin, who is in a psychiatric hospital. And that tells the viewer that This is the main character. This is the character whose story we're following. And I think that the show, following along with the books, kept him sort of at the forefront, but they keep bringing in other people to really compete with Quentin for that lead role. You know, it really is an ensemble cast. And it's becoming more and more so. Yeah, it's just a really important element of this show and and how they will continue on to continue to critique the stories that Quentin loves right and how he is a part of that narrative and how they're trying to switch that up
1: absolutely and
0: and I also think it's interesting because one of the things Simon was saying about Quentin is that he is the outsider let into the inner sanctum of knowledge Mm -hmm. and that is a sort of trope, right? But if we think about the magician's show, Julia is that character, Mm. right? Quentin wasn't an outsider to it. He feels like an outsider, but he was accepted into Break Bills. He chose himself, so then Martin Chatwin chose him back, right? But Julia was the one who had to fight and fight and fight as the outsider to get into the... Well, and maybe of knowledge.
1: that is also the critique: is that Quentin kind of is the outsider who's let into the mm-hmm. inner sanctum, whereas Julia fights her way into that That's knowledge. True. Yeah, and that shows that she has more narrative agency. She is mm-hmm. someone who propels her own story forward. She doesn't just get welcomed into it the way that that is the the Joseph Campbell hero story. Right, the hero gets the call to adventure. That disrupts their regular life. It's not that the hero does something to cause that to happen. Bilbo's just living his life and Gandalf and these dwarves show up. Luke is just living his life, trying to go to Tashi Station for some power converters, trying to join the Imperial Academy, <laughs> and then C-3PO and R2-D2 show up, right? Yeah, let into or are, are caught up in these wider narratives, these fantastical stories, getting a quest given to them. And that's not what Julia's story has ever been, which is just delightful. Mm
0: -hmm, Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, you know, just a quick comment. When they visit the ghosts, Penny is like, these ghosts aren't terrifying. You're just homophobic. You know? He's like, it's just two dudes kissing. That's not terrifying. But to a lot of people in the world, somehow that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, obviously what happens there is horrible.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, homophobia does come into the story in a way that it hasn't really thus far. With this Lance Morrison character who was Rupert Chatwin's boyfriend and killed. And then also with Elliot, even though it's just a quick snippet of his father. Yeah. Which I think also, kind of in the themes and schemes, if we want to go there next, I think...
1: That was one of my themes and schemes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because that's the thing, is I didn't even cover that plot point in my synopsis of the episode, Mm -hmm. in my recap, because it technically doesn't move our character stories forward, but it also is such an important part of this world. We meet another Chatwin, and we see more of his history, and... Yeah, a really dark history for his boyfriend and is really violent and homophobic and also again connects with parents, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm just seeing it everywhere now in this (laughs) season. And to be fair, once you start looking, you can just see stuff with parents everywhere in every story, Uh, you know, unfortunately becomes a central theme in lots and lots of stories. But
0: parents being bad parents and screwing up their kids. Exactly, that's yeah. that's kind of the human story. Yeah, or just,
1: <laughs> you know, people having tension in their relationships with their parents or whatever it might be. I remember after my dad passed, there was like a week where I kept being all like, well, what could I watch to make myself feel better? Oh, all these things that I love deal with orphans or deal with, like, <laughs> characters who lose their parent figure Can't in some watch way. Disney. Exactly. No superheroes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter's out.
0: I, I didn't get superpowers from this. <laughs>
1: exactly. Like, you know, it's... So, yeah, it's just... These are common, you common themes. You watch The Good Place. Yeah, The Good Place. There you go. <laughs> uh, but... I do find it, yeah, illuminating to have another example of this and, and certainly purposeful to have two examples of it in one episode
0: mm-hmm. of
1: two violent fathers of queer men who use that violence against them, in one case, in a deadly way.
0: Mm-hmm. And to show how so little has changed.
1: Absolutely. yeah, Yeah, that those fathers can exist the same way and can be just as destructive. That... Elliot, a character who we've spent so much time with, who we've seen struggle with so much, who we've seen kill someone that he loved, who we've seen be willing to die himself, who has had magic and has been able to be more powerful than his father ever could, is still afraid of his father.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's just so powerful. And so to see, yeah, even that brief bit of Elliot's story in conversation with Rupert and Lance's story and and Lance's in particular. Yeah. I think just very, very important, especially when you're looking at things that are historical to put those into the context of how queerness was violently policed, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, as it remains being in many, many places uh, and many circumstances. But yeah, I just I think that this was a, uh, a a really powerful element of what, by and large, is a packed, plot heavy, mm-hmm. hilarious episode. <laughs> yeah, to to have this as one of the asides, I think is is yeah really important.
0: Yeah, and I like that it gives a small window into Elliot's childhood and upbringing, mm-hmm. and more context for why he'd want to separate himself from it. Why even farming causes this like visceral reaction for him. It's not just because of the farming, but because of the toxic masculinity imposed in tandem with that.
1: Absolutely. He sicked his father on the cannibals Mm -hmm. by saying that they didn't know what a plow was or something Mm -hmm. like that you know like
0: or it's a specific type (laughs) yeah exactly Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it it shows how those things are all yeah it bundled up together for him just
0: like 30 seconds it shows how much his father would have tried to force him into this mold of what he thought elliot should be as his son but i love that that's not Elliot's whole story like mm-hmm. it, his whole character doesn't center around just his sexuality and how that interacts with everything and it does interact with everything Absolutely. but he does not boil down to that as a
1: character which... and even here he's clearly affected by seeing his father mm-hmm. but he's not overcome
0: yeah well and he finds it cathartic to, <laughs> to feed his True. illusion father to the cannibals <laughs> Yeah, Not so tough now, Dad!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I also think it's really interesting, too, because when Lance gave the key to his father, his father realized the truth about mm-hmm. Lance, that that he the was... The hidden truth. Yes, the hidden truth. But that was not what the conflict was over, and that's not even originally why he gave the key, because... His father said, you've been speaking out of turn about your mother's family. Mm. You've sullied the McAllister name. And Lance says, all I did was tell the truth. And so he had the truth key, and he was able to see the fairies being Mm -hmm. used as labor. And so he saw how they had slaves doing this magical work. So I think that it's also, like, that's an important thing, that... Originally, Lance was speaking out against the oppression of these fairies
1: Mm -hmm. uh, at
0: the expense of his family and his position with his family. Yeah, a lot of oppressed groups have stood in solidarity with each other for a very long time against the oppressors. And also, there's the element of him here as well. All I did was tell the truth it's the truth that you don't want to see both about the slavery, the labor expectation and about his kids' sexuality, you know? Um, yeah. but it's the truth. And so, yeah, I just think that it was an interesting, um, element there that I'm also curious to see if they continue, not necessarily in terms of queerness, but just as an idea of truth. And truth that people want to keep hidden.
1: Yeah. Speaking of things being kept hidden, the other theme and scheme I wanted to talk about, which frustrated me, was the fate of the margolem
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because that, I think, was one of, for me, the most interesting discussions we had in season one. Seeing the Margolem as this... Literal personification of the objectification of of Margot, and how Margot reacts to that, and how that influences her relationship with Elliot, and just all these other things that are, are happening there. A- and in the back of my mind, has been watching a couple times. I've been thinking, like, is the Mar- I'm pretty sure the Margot going to come back. What, you know, I still think that that's there, and then for it to come back here and just be just a a, a kind of joke. The setup for laughs was really frustrating to see. Hmm. You know, first off, we see Todd keeps it in his closet now. And he says it's not for sexual activity, it's just to dress it up as a doll or whatever. (laughs)
0: And pretend like she respects you. Yeah,
1: which is a funny line, but But it's still still... an
0: objectification. Usually someone without the consent, yeah.
1: Precisely. And then there is the physical comedy of Penny being in the body and not working entirely. And then there's the physical comedy of Quentin attacking it, Mm -hmm. you know, over and over and over again. Yeah. It just felt like none of that was actually really engaging with the themes around this body Mm
0: -hmm. in a way
1: that it should have.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we can pull out the commentary of, Despite everything that Margot has achieved, been growing towards, she still is being used against her will. She still is being, you know, acted like just a vessel, right?
1: And violence is being done against her body. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she's being objectified all by men when she's not even there. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I think like we could maybe come up with some some, you know, interesting conversations yeah, around that. Yeah, the
0: show is sh-
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. I think really frustrating to see because as you've mentioned, the show can be really really excellent at adding commentary at, you know, engaging with those elements. I think even Hyman in his perving on Julian the Bath and these mm-hmm. other kinds of things is its own commentary on the way that fans often engage with the sexuality of characters and, more importantly, actors mm-hmm. in the things that they're fans of, but then they do this here and it's just gross and and really, really unfortunate.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true.
1: But what about you? What other themes and schemes did you have?
0: Yeah, another one I know we had talked about a lot in season one was agency and and i think some of season two as well for julia even when her memories erased even when she's kept out of things you know she's continuing to fight uh the confines that are put around her mm-hmm. and i think here we see that with penny as well he decides what happens to his body after yeah. his death you know they don't know what to do they're going back and forth about it they make a decision and that's not what he wants and so he chooses to be the candle yeah and so yeah i just i liked that as the continuing thing especially as he is not corporeal anymore most of the time (laughs) it's a nice way to show that he is still making choices instead of just being a bystander like Hyman is. Yeah. Uh, he's still fighting to interact and and have his voice heard, but also struggles with that because it's not always that simple in his mm-hmm. situation. And, and then the other thing that I was thinking about is just the continuation of the theme that I talked about in season two with what the Winter Doe had said about How much do you have to lose until you're no longer yourself? Mm. And Alice here talking about... She didn't know Penny well, but she says, I know what it's like to be trapped and to totally lose control of yourself and your life. But in the underworld, he still gets to be Penny. And, you know, she doesn't know what is happening with his situation. Right. But they thought that he could become a vengeful spirit and be trapped in the horrors of his death reliving that over and over again like the plover mansion two kids yeah i think for her she's acting out of compassion here being like it is better to be dead and be yourself than be turned into something that you're not and yeah here how much does Penny have to lose to not be himself anymore? Mm. Uh, so yeah, I think that's just kind of a continuation.
1: Yeah, great point.
0: What do we move into? Povs. I know we're talking about Penny, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely wanted to talk about Penny. Um,
0: Only you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny because the title, you know, from another point of view, started as a point of view not Katniss's in mm-hmm. The Hunger Games because that was a book that was narrated by Katniss. And the show we've talked about is an ensemble cast so it doesn't really have a single perspective. But this episode is the one that comes closest to it mm-hmm. and because the majority of the episode is entirely told from Penny's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's the only time we've had an episode that follows one character the entire time yeah. until his body's burned. That we don't cut to any scene that Penny's not in. And in fact, we move scenes when Penny travels to these new scenes.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really cool way of doing it. And I'm just like, I want more Penny episodes. I know, right? Please <laughs>
1: give me more. We get essentially like his commentary on mm-hmm. the rest of the plot that's <laughs> happening, which is delightful. But despite all the comedy that we get from <laughs> seeing Penny's frustrations, it's also emotional to see him watching all this happen and not being able to impact it. You know, from the beginning of the show, Penny's frustrations with the people around him has always been a constant, (laughs) right? And uh, has always been entertaining. But I think that he's also been a character who has, more than anyone else, been impacted by different types of ability and interactivity with the world around him. Mm -hmm. Where, as a psychic, he had uncontrolled, at times, access to other people's minds. And that was a curse in many ways for him. And then he loses his hands. And then his hands are cursed. And then he doesn't have magic. Mm -hmm. And then no one has magic, but he's dying of cancer. Now he doesn't have a body. He's not able to interact with people in a way that is a new curse, essentially. Um, And to see him in almost the inverse of him at the beginning of the series, where he was able to enter people's minds and had, if anything, too much intimacy with the people around him. Now, after he's actually developed these relationships, he can't have any form of engagement or intimacy with them and he sees them also not show any intimacy with him after his passing and yes you know i certainly would tattoo appreciate me on me <laughs> you know like it i resonate with that very much but i also can just imagine the difficulty of him hearing quentin laugh no one cry Even Katie saying that nobody knew him, not even her. Mm -hmm. The only person who's actually sad in a really profound way is Benedict.
0: (laughs) Finally, someone's so sad over my death. And then he's like, oh, wait, we're we're not best friends. That's that's a little too much.
1: Exactly. Uh, (laughs) But like
0: that shows part of the Penny part that Katie was talking about. Nobody knew him and that's the way he wanted
1: it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like
0: when you get when you get too close, he's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, 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 oh, you know. Um not with Katie. I think she's the main exception. Agreed. But yeah, it's like, Oh no, that's too sincere. Oh, that's too intense. <laughs> Exactly. You care right? too much about me now.
1: When when he lost his emotions, the first thing he says is a compliment to Quentin <laughs> about his sweater. Yeah. Right? But that's something that he would never let himself say mm-hmm. in actuality. So yeah, that, that sincerity is something that he's blocked himself off from. And now he's getting their sincere reactions to his death and seeing how that wall impacted those. Or not sincere, but they're unaware that he is seeing them.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing, too. If Magic wasn't gone, if he could still hear the thoughts of different people, he probably would be able to hear Quentin's because of him leaking, right? And so how would that be different for him? But he can't hear those things.
1: Yeah. And yeah, similar to Benedict, you know, it's funny how when Margot's reaction is just, I always thought that someday we'd bang. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, me too, girl. Like, because they don't have a relationship, you know? Like, yeah. he's not looking for that from everyone because, yeah, mm-hmm. that would be too much. But to get it from no one and to especially see how closed off so many of those reactions are, I think is, yeah, it's it's obviously very difficult.
0: Well, and that's the thing that's interesting too is that there's certain people he looks to for more sincere reaction than than others, and I think that Alice is an interesting one because she's also grieving her father, and the grief of her father overshadows any grief she would be feeling for a Penny. Yeah, and so we do see her actually care, and actually when when. Katie's like, why do you care about this? She's like, he was my friend. So she actually does care about Penny. Yeah. And she's trying to help encourage Katie to do what she thinks is the more compassionate end for Penny. And him being able to go to the underworld. And so we, we see her in action doing things that show care for Penny, but not necessarily verbally. And so, yeah, he doesn't really get to hear what she thinks, even if she's doing the most. Yeah. But I think it's also really interesting because when Julia first tells Quentin, you see Penny sitting there watching very intently the reaction that Quentin is going to have. And then he has the inappropriate effect of laughing. It's interesting to see that he cared how Quentin was going to react. And I think that's because in their weird messed up relationship, he knows Quentin the best because of Quentin constantly not being able to keep his mental wards up. And so he's felt his pain, his sorrow, his depression, He's felt all of these different things, and they've annoyed him at different times. But there's, they've also been those times, like when they got out of the flying forest. I know what you're feeling. Yeah. And I need you. I need you to help me for him to get his hands back. And so I think there are moments that they've shared. And Penny has saved Quentin so many times, despite his irritation at Quentin. <laughs> and he's been in his mind when the with the whole lobotomy yeah. nightmare spell and and so i think that they have this intimacy that he doesn't have with other characters and so he was more intently like wanting to find out what his reaction will be and also maybe he's used to just being able to know mm-hmm. what he's thinking or feeling And now he can't,
1: which is interesting. Yeah, I think that 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 is probably one of the most impactful responses that Penny has Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: to seeing someone's response because their dynamic has been so central to so much of what's happened to both of them Mm
0: -hmm. that,
1: uh, frankly, I was, as an audience member, disappointed to Mm -hmm. just see this myself, you know? But the scene that, that really broke my heart here was seeing Penny watch Katie prepare to use drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, likely in a way to kill herself, or to certainly hurt herself.
0: yeah,
1: uh, And to escape. He says there's no point in staying and watching you suffer if I can't do anything about it. And he leaves. Yeah. I he can... doesn't
0: just leave, but he says goodbye, Katie. Yeah. As if he might not be back to see her, or she might be dead
1: yeah and that's such a a hard scene because i think that there is a romanticism around well you should just be there mm-hmm. but one of the great things about penny is that he doesn't care about those kinds of shoulds about convention he does what he thinks is best and he knows that he will suffer to watch. And that suffering will be pointless. So yeah, he, he says his goodbye and he teleports away and he's there to see Julia come in to help.
0: But that's the thing. He comes back as soon as
1: there's anything that changes or Mm -hmm. what happens. Absolutely. But yeah, I can just, uh, I can just only imagine how heartbreaking that is and how hard that choice is and what what's going through his head but the last thing i want to mention about penny and his perspective here is that even when penny is disembodied he can't help but try to protect his friends
0: right he's constantly trying to help them <laughs> even as they're not appreciating him
1: exactly but
0: and he can't do anything
1: yeah until he starts fighting lance's father you know, which yeah. itself is in part because he's like, this is someone who could tell them that I'm here, mm-hmm. but also because he was about to attack them. Mm-hmm. And he stops him from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then...
0: And pulling Hyman away and saying what Julia does in the bath is not story. And he doesn't even like Julia. Yeah. But yeah. They, they haven't had a great relationship. And no. he's still gonna be like, no, this is wrong. Stop it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and when he tells Elliot that he wishes he could help.
0: I know, that moment. Like, first he's like, don't, Elliot, they're cannibals! Like, he's trying to, like, warn him, even though he can't. But then, when he sees his dad, all he has is compassion. Yeah. I wish I could help. Which is just like, "Oh them. (laughs) And which kind of brings me back to that episode of when they went to the Plover Manor, Mm -hmm. right, mansion. Them two being like we have to leave these ghosts. Like, there's nothing we can do for them. And then drinking together at the end. Yeah, They were much more on the same page, I think, because of things that they've been through. And so then it's like, oh, that moment. Ellie yeah. doesn't know was there. but
1: Exactly. And that's the other thing is that, the you know, again, not that Penny acts super differently around people, but mm-hmm. here he is just saying this to himself. Yeah. He's not doing this for any kind of audience, any kind of, you know, well, this is a way of saying, oh, I wish I could help, but not actually believing it. Like, no, he's saying this because he, he truly thinks it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, yeah, it's just it's such a great Penny episode. Mm-hmm. We see so much of him. And I would sign the petition to have every episode like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Make it the Penny
1: show. Penny and the magicians. <laughs> But what perspective did you want to talk about?
0: So I was thinking a lot about Katie in this episode as well. She's obviously struggling so much uh, when it's her and Quentin and Julia and the Dean sitting around toasting to Penny Mm -hmm yeah she is in a very despairing place because she says none of us really knew him not even me and that's how he wanted it so all i can say is and she just raises her glass she has no words even though there is stuff that she knew about him there was intimacy they shared not just physical but emotional she let him into her mind to see everything that happened with her mother They worked on, you know, tried to work on the problem of Victoria locked in the dungeon with Martin, and she made that tattoo Mm -hmm. on him that would make him not be able to travel when he was scared of his abilities at first. So, like, they have shared things, but there's also, yeah, a lot he didn't share, she didn't share, because a lot of their life has been painful and they would rather not talk about it
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but imagining how yeah just so sad it would feel that you didn't know him as much as you would have liked and you don't have any opportunity anymore to know him more some of that just feeling like such a waste you know yeah and then she has too with Alice, like, why do you care what happens to him? She says, he wasn't one of you. And I think that that highlights an aspect of where they connected was from their really tumultuous background, from the poverty they likely both grew up in. We know she did. I think he did too. Mm-hmm. When the one time Katie goes to Fillery, she's just like, Elliot is king of all of this. And Penny's just like, proof that life isn't fair, right? <laughs> and so it's like, they have those aspects. They do not have the same privilege that all of the other characters do. I mean, I think Elliot is kind yeah. of an exception, but the privilege he's portrayed, <laughs> even if he had to create that for himself uh that that image. But yeah, they they were together and they connected in part separately than the others because of their different experiences in life. And so yeah, I could imagine it also being frustrating to see people like not necessarily know what to say and not know him that well, but sort of care, but you're like, but you didn't get him, you know? It's almost like don't don't encroach on this space of our little minor you know our, our tiny little community yeah. of two at break bills surrounded by all of these privileged people yeah just kind of the frustration at that but also the appreciation because she doesn't want to make the decision she doesn't know what penny would have wanted and to not know what someone would have wanted but have to make the decision on their behalf is so difficult i would hate being in that position the stress and the pressure and you don't want to make the wrong decision. And these are final, ultimate decisions. So I was just thinking about how much she would have appreciated in that moment, Alice, saying, I know you don't want this responsibility, so let me take it from you so you don't have to make the decision. Just feeling a bit of relief. This isn't my decision. I'm not going to make the wrong decision for the rest of Penny's existence.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what you were saying about feeling like they were outsiders together and feeling like this frustration and tension over everyone's relationships with her and with Penny and, and all of that was really, really well stated because I just saw her the way that she was sitting on the couch and was so struck by it when they're all in that kind of semicircle. No one was really saying anything. And she was half on the couch, half off of it. Hmm. She was basically standing with one leg sitting on the couch and on the, on the, the yeah, turn. and it looked really uncomfortable. She clearly was unhappy, but it just you know shouted out how uncomfortable she was in the situation, how much she didn't want to sit with these people, but how she also recognized that this was Penny's memorial, and she had to be there, and how even when she's there, she can't be comfortable, she can't be a part of them. That there is this disconnection that no one else is seeing yeah i just thought it was a really really because the first time i saw i was just like why is she sitting like that so uncomfortable and then i was like oh that's actually really good character work that like it's visualizing how she's feeling in in these really important ways Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think also you know the other thing that she says that I think is really important to understanding how she's feeling in this episode is when she's talking to Alice in front of Penny's dead body and she says, it took everything I had to try to save his life and then he died anyway. Yeah. And then I was relieved to be done. I think that's, that's the place she's in when she decides to take drugs again Mm -hmm. after being sober for quite a while, uh, forcing herself to. And it's just so much because she went from doing everything she could to keep her mom alive to doing everything she could to help Julia and destroy Reynard, Then right into doing everything she could for probably two and a half straight months. At least, yeah. While there's no magic to s- try to save Penny and periodically seeing him just worse and worse yeah. and dying and the pain of that and feeling so helpless but in that place still putting every single cell in your body towards trying to... To find something to help him to save his life. And then finally, when you do and you use the last magic to save his life, he dies anyway. Yeah. And just, I can't imagine how defeated she must feel, how just exhausted, like completely drained of any energy she could possibly have to do anything else, including taking care of herself, including fighting this addiction and just not caring anymore feeling like you can give things constantly your all and they all are for nothing her mom was killed by marina anyway reynard wasn't killed he was sent away whatever then penny died you know so it's like everything she's been doing for the entire time that we've known this character, all of it has, in in her eyes, probably failed.
1: Yeah. To, yeah, just live with all of that weight on your shoulders, of course there would be relief when it comes off, even if that relief comes, you know, from what you want at least to happen. But then living with yourself afterwards is its own new burden that clearly was was too much especially because now this burden was just on her about herself it wasn't a burden that she was caring for someone else which mm-hmm. is something that at least keeps you going here if the burden is just for herself well it does the opposite it makes you want even more to end that burden any way you can and to not feel like anything you do would matter anyway
0: yeah and the the self judgment she has at her feeling relieved yeah. after penny died that she could be done you can hear in her voice and see on her face it's painful for her to say that yeah and she's ashamed that that was her reaction yeah i i don't understand it <laughs> in the way that she is experiencing that because I haven't had to do those the things that she has but yeah I can feel like in my life sometimes it's just like one thing after the other like it doesn't let up there's a new problem a new hurdle and I can't jump you know like constant and you just want to break for a year or two maybe instead of it just being perpetual and it's like the next problem to try to solve with more and more roadblocks and not having the energy to do it obviously katie didn't want him to die she was doing everything she possibly could to not have that be the case but then when it did anyway just being relieved. relief i finally don't have to do anything
1: now this show does such a good job of Towing that line of having these characters experiencing such deep pain and hardship, but also being hilarious <laughs> and entertaining. You know, it's just, uh, it's a good show. I say that a lot.
0: Yeah. And it's true every time. It is. <laughs> well, why don't we close this episode out? What do you think of the title? Be the Penny.
1: I love it. It's amazing.
0: It's the best title. It's of excellent. course. This yeah. is the title it had to have.
1: Yeah. Obviously, there's a allusion to Penny trying to be the Penny, to try to inhabit objects. But it also lets us, the audience, be the Penny for most mm-hmm. of the episodes. It lets us see what it's like to be Penny in this circumstance. So, yeah, it works on so many levels and is clever and funny and one of the best titles you've had so far. Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe it's also advice to people... Be the penny.
1: It's a call to action. (laughs) Exactly. The world would be much better if everyone could just be the penny.
0: Well, I mean, more emotionally available, gone to therapy penny. (laughs) Yeah. But but the penny who's even when the worst has happened to him, trying to help others.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's wrap up our discussion there. So, what's happening next time on The Magicians?
0: So, we're going to be on episode five A Life in the Day where we get to see a ship that even Hyman doesn't know about. And we are going to be taking off a couple weeks during the holidays. We are not a hundred percent sure which weeks yet, depending on how many things come up.
1: (laughs) You can pay attention to our Instagram.
0: Yeah. Also, you may be surprised (laughs) by no episode or an episode, but we'll, we'll probably be taking at least two weeks off.
1: Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. Until then, geek out. out!